Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you because you have brought us here in your mercy, in your grace, in your love. And we come to fellowship with our brothers and sisters to share just how gracious you are with us. How you've been gracious to us throughout the years and throughout this week, Lord. Encourage us through the discussion of these matters, through the discussions of your word through the preaching of your word and the singing of the psalms and hymns and all these great celebratory things we do, just to acknowledge and praise that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is king over all creation, that he has purchased us with his great sacrifice and invites us to live behind his footsteps, Lord, and sacrifice ourselves, Lord. Bless this time of fellowship and discussion. In Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. Facebook statuses. Tweets. Hashtags. Selfies. The metaverse. If you're sitting there wondering what in the world do these terms mean, or if you have an idea that it has to do with the internet, then you're in the right place. It's going to be my attempt this morning to summarize the impact of the internet in this modern age and the challenge it poses to the Christian today from a biblical world view. Like I said, for better or for worse, whether you agree with this or not, you are smack in the middle of living in the digital age. An age of digital real estate. Not actual real estate, but a digital one where so many are racing to set up shop, where every kind of business or organization needs a website. They need a website to present and sell themselves as such, right? Mom and pop shops from the past, malls, they're all gradually losing its place for Amazon Prime, where things are delivered right to you at your door. With it, We also have virtual reality and social media to claim and conquer, much like the discovery of the Americas and Christopher Columbus as we read in history. But today, instead of conquerors, we have influencers. We have vloggers, we have artists, news outlets, and communicators of every kind. And they're doing the same thing that we've always done in the past. We're attempting to capitalize and claim ownership on the attention of the entire world. They're trying to win over the people to their cause. You flip open your your phone, you're constantly fed content that can be divisive, radicalized, promoting unnecessary division, to create a loyalty to a tribe, to get you to think that anybody else who thinks differently than you must be canceled. That's where you are today. Now, this isn't new, right? What is new is the kind of power and speed things are communicated. In the past, we had radio, right? And then things progressed, and now we have TVs. To now, in the pockets of everybody in this very room, you have cell phones. Also with the digital age, we have the digital public square. We have it on social media apps like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, where we publish every aspect of our lives 
to get a sense of community, to get likes, to get affirmation, to get attention from people that we barely know. See, the ease and speed of information through YouTube, entire collections of books in the palm of your hand, through podcasts and videos, you can learn so many different things and skills that would normally take years of apprenticeship. Years. And now you can learn them on your own terms by the click of a button. Humanity is now entirely connected to high-speed Internet. And with it comes no real relationships, yet real and impactful influence. Think about this. All of the things that I've mentioned, whether it's digital real estate or the digital public square or through social media, videos, podcasts, all of that, Lacks personal and real contact. Think about this for a moment. No real sacrifice to learn anything from a personal relationship. See, personal relationships comes with time. Right? They come with weighty interaction. They come with perseverance and commitment. These things are very difficult to get on the internet. But yet, most of us have a Facebook account with tons of friends, right? I have. I personally have hundreds. Yet, I only know and interact with a fraction of that. Yet, all of us are given the power and potentially move and influence so many people from distant lands in a matter of seconds. Let me provide a proof. I started a web page uh, before I was called to be an elder, when uh, Reformed Christianity hit uh, my life. So uh, it's been like six or seven years of administrating a Christian apologetics page in Spanish. And in this video, I created a poem uh, based on Romans chapter 1, where Romans chapter 1 clearly communicates that, we're all, that we all know who God is through natural revelation. Now, we all know it, but we're in suppression of that knowledge through our sin and unrighteousness. And I created a video that goes through history of different periods and movements that have occurred where men, uh, we know our, we have a sense of ethics, we have a sense of purpose, but we do not want to ground anything on the word of God or the gospel. And I created a poem that way, and it got 576,000 views. 576,000 views. And you say, wow, that's great. What a great extension. But those are 576,000 people that I do not know. That I don't know. And sure, the Bible says, you know, you sow the seeds and God gives the growth. I don't need to see the fruit. But the reality is also that these impacts, what if they need a pastor? How do I know that they need a pastor? What ended up happening and influencing in the lives of these people that engaged with this poem, that engaged with the reality of Romans 1? Maybe they're not part of a church. Maybe they're just looking to consume. And that, brothers and sisters, is the danger, the double-edged sword with this. 
The speed and power of the internet. With the speed of the internet comes a great power unique to this age. The internet gives us the ability to be ubiquitous, to be at all places at all times. We're constantly connected over the digital space no matter where we are. We're always together, just a Facebook status away. And this is a very particular challenge to our age that we can look at the past for reference and find very limited help. What used to take months, even years to communicate, what used to require sacrifice and commitment to gain real and impactful influence in people is just one tweet away. The speed of communication and the power to move masses of people become available at the push of a button. And to quote (laughs) Spider-Man... With great power comes great responsibility. To harness that power, to properly guide it and respect its limitations, right? Not asking it to do what it should not do. The internet is not created to have personal relationships, yet we use it to that end. And we'll go a little bit further through that with the Bible. Have we grown the character to properly bear their power and responsibility that comes with this type of advancement. And as I mentioned, we can look to the past for some limited help. Another movement that had this kind of power was the Reformation. How the printing press was created in this movement to put Bibles in the hands of the people. Putting it in the hands of people was a major and life-altering advancements that had a lot of dangers that we're dealing with today. What are those kind of dangers? The weaponizing of the Bible. If you take it out and you put it in the hands of the common man, there's the inevitable cliff of people using it for their own gain. Much like the Pharisees, we're all pharisaical in our hearts. We will weaponize the word of God to use it to our advancement. And we're not different from the Pharisees. We're just dressed in different clothes. So that was the real danger. But you know what? The blessings far outweigh the risks, right? We just had to grow the character to deal with the fallout. And we're still growing the character, right? As the Bible was put in people's hands, as things grew, people understood the word of God. There's different heresies and sects that flowed out of that. But you know what? We got the Protestant Reformation. We have, we have Protestant, the Protestant tradition. We're Presbyterian because of that. So you got to weigh the costs, right? Some things are just worth the risk. But with it, like the example, comes the decline of character. Without a doubt, brothers and sisters, we're living in an age of lack of character. What used to be a country founded on Christian principles, where the Christian worldview was predominantly the way of life, is now all but a memory. Let's look at some of the dead fruits of this day. The first slide here on the left, over 60 million Children murdered in the womb up to this day. 60 million people murdered in a country that was founded on Christian principles. How did we get there? How did we get to 60 million? 60 million image bearers destroyed in the womb. You know, abortion 
is, is the sign of so many different failures. It's the visible sign of all these immaterial and spiritual failures that have reached a point that have this sign of killing the most innocent in the womb. What kind of failures? The family. Our understanding that we need to step into the crucible of marriage, of being one flesh with someone else that comes with sacrifice and commitment and perseverance. But we want the spoils without the sacrifice. That's the spirit of this age. We just want something and we take it. Oh, we just have the power and speed of the internet. We can do whatever we want. That's, if I could sum it up, that's the challenge we're facing today. Why do I need the character to develop these things? Why must I get married to have intercourse with whomever? Why must marriage be defined biblically? Why can it just be a contract between two persons? doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman. It could be a man and a man or a woman and a woman. It doesn't matter. They just want to love each other. Why must I take care of this child? If I just wanted the spoils of the pleasure, I don't want this other stuff that comes with it. See, we've fractured everything. And we've... Stripped it of its objective, true, and biblical meaning. And the sign of those things, 60 million image bearers killed. The second slide, I've already kind of discussed it. Don't marry, be happy. Don't marry. That doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. All the struggle and strife. Why must we submit ourselves to that? If I worship at the feet of my own God which is my own pleasures and the way I do things and the way I, 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 right? And repeat. Why must I marry? That is a good question if it doesn't come from a biblical worldview. And the third slide, the riots, the destruction. You see entire cities burning. Why? Because this country, all of a sudden, is guilty of all... A lot of different things that you didn't, you didn't even know. You're seeing, you turn on the TV, everything is on fire. I say, how do we get here? Good question. To summarize them, all these dead fruits, I'll just mention one. One of the causes of these three things. It's called radical individualism. On the right, you see one of the prime artists of the day. It's called Justin Bieber. And he holds a sign that says, love yourself. That's one of his albums. Radical individualism. What is that? Radical individualism is a demonic idea that was seated in humanity at the fall. It's a foundational proposition that comes from Satan himself that says you, the individual, is the ultimate authority that defines truth. Your feelings and desires are ultimate. That we are not responsible for the persons we are covenanted with. Who are the, who are the persons who we're covenanted with? God and neighbor. And your perception is ultimate. There is no such thing as objective truth, no such thing as a binding covenantal framework that determines our identity, no covenantal responsibilities that we must live up to. Everything comes down, brothers and sisters, to you and your sinful desires. That's the north of the culture. All the dead fruit that I just mentioned comes with this same idea that drives it. 
See, I don't need the covenant of marriage to enjoy sex or to have babies. I want the pleasure without the responsibility. Hence abortion. Hence the decline of marriage. These institutions are riddled with racism. All of the institutions that we hold dear for so many years, it's because of racism. That's why they have success. See, it's not because of my failures. It's not because I'm lazy. It's not because I'm irresponsible. It's not because I'm envious and covetous of other things, other people's belongings. No, it's because I'm a victim. Therefore, burn it all down. Now, couple, now couple this, these deep character issues that we're going through with the power and speed of the Internet. Imagine giving a, a toddler a weapon. The weapon is not in itself an evil thing. It entirely depends on the character of the, pe- of the person wielding the weapon that determines the outcome most of the time. Yet, who is responsible to teach the nations and shape its character? If we're looking outside and saying, oh, this is, we started, we started this way, we started with Christian principles, and then things have been decaying and decaying and decaying and decaying. And we're all looking around at each other saying, who's responsible to teach these toddlers, these two-year-olds that are throwing tantrums and burning buildings, how and why life is defined according to biblical standards? Who's responsible for that? What is the mission of the church? Brothers and sisters, what is the mission of the church? The Lord clearly defines what the mission of the church is in the Great Commission. And we're going to go in it now. We're not to sit, brothers and sisters, we're not to sit idly amongst ourselves, yearning for the second coming of Christ, while complaining about things getting worse. The Lord Jesus said that it was better for us, for Him to leave us for a time. Why? So the Holy Spirit might come to be with us. To what? To empower Christians. To what? (laughs) To pursue holiness. To pursue this mission in what? In a progressive sanctification up to the submission of Christ's enemies. The last enemy being death, then comes the end. That's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 26. So if things are getting worse, the question must be asked, brothers and sisters, are we pursuing the kingdom of heaven? Are we seeking the kingdom first and foremostly as the Lord commanded? It's an open-ended question. Don't have to answer. Each and every one of us has to ask ourselves, are we stepping into this crucible to teach the nations to obey God? Centered on Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, in the Great Commission, you can look at it at your Bibles, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, says, all authority... After the resurrection, after Christ has finished his work, after he has purchased your salvation, he says all authority has been given to Christ by the virtue of the sacrifice offered. Why is all authority given to Christ? Because it was perfect. Simple as that. Therefore, because the sacrifice was perfect, he has given all authority. All authority in regards to what? All authority to establish an everlasting kingdom throughout the nations. 
The central theme of the entire Bible, brothers and sisters, is the extension of God's rule to the nations. The nations were lost. Why? Because of the fall. The king now has merited the ownership of them. He bought them back. In the Tower of Babel, what do we have? We see God scattering the nations by Christ's perfect work. The Holy Spirit is poured out in Pentecost. For what? For the gathering of the very nations he scattered. And where do we see this ownership of the nations belonging to Christ? We see it in Psalm chapter 2. It says, Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. It says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's Psalm 2, 7 through 9. Verse 7, where it says the son is begotten. The apostles, they interpret that verse and apply it where? To the resurrection in Acts chapter 13. And if you want, you can turn with me. Acts chapter 13, verses 32 through 34. And it says, and we bring you the good news that God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son. There it goes. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. That's Acts 13, 32-34. So this is not me. This is not my interpretation. This is the apostles' interpretation of Psalm chapter 2. The begetting is the resurrection. And the reward for that inheritance is the nations and the ends of the earth as his possession. Everything belongs to Christ. Therefore, all this kingly authority promised belongs to Christ. And based on this, he makes the following commands. Back to Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them, To observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It is clear, brothers and sisters, Christ's rule and authority is not only over spiritual matters. It is not just in heaven. It is on earth as well. His rule concerns earthly matters, concerns physical matters. The Lord's prayer in and of itself is centered on bringing heaven to earth. Rather than yearning to escape the earth to go to heaven. How? How is this bringing heaven to earth going to happen? By making disciples of all nations. The Lord Jesus is not giving us a command. He did not first exemplify. Brothers and sisters, it's not new. What did Jesus do? The Lord is commanding something he did in his own ministry. And he proved how successful it could be if we just obeyed it. Jesus trained 12 men and later the apostle Paul, obviously. And he sent them out into the world to change it. Therefore, the book of Acts. Jesus personally shaped the lives of a very small group of men. Think about this for a second. The maker of the universe, he saw it fit 
that the primary means that he's going to take back his own creation was not through a pyramid scheme, was not through some trick of advertising or whatever. It was not through legislation. It's not through law. It's not through political candidates either. It was with direct personal taking on the responsibility of these 12 men. The God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth. He said, you know what? I'm going to take 12. That's the way. That's it. He took the responsibilities of these men and teaching them the character and worldview of what? Of a citizen of his everlasting kingdom. And then he took care of their sins, dominion over them on the cross. Not only them, but us. Then he sent them his spirit to empower them to pursue and obey all that he taught them. Simple formula. But it ain't easy, right? It's not easy. (laughs) Jesus knew that first things come first. Then the outworking of this would affect every sphere in creation. But all of it, brothers and sisters, all of it begins with discipleship. All of it doesn't doesn't begin outside in. We have that in the Old Testament. Doesn't begin with rulership or rulers or governors or presidents. It begins inside. From here on out. We know this. Yet we avoid the crucible of discipleship a lot. You have it in the, in the back. That's what the crucible looks like, right? The crucible of discipleship comes with a high cost. That's why we avoid it. And I include myself. It comes with a high cost that these times that we're living in of what? Of comfort, of money, of pleasure, of security. All of these things that are good but can become false gods. We avoid it precisely because it's a sacrifice of all those things. It's a sacrifice of time. It's a sacrifice that involves discomfort. It's a sacrifice that involves confrontation. It, it also comes with compassion, with care, with perseverance, with commitment. And we don't want to pay that. Yet we know that's exactly where we need to be. See, discipleship is enforced In the building of a family. You must disciple your wife. I'm talking to the men. You must disciple your wife and your children. That is is not a negotiable. You must pastor your home. You are a pastor of your home. You might not be a pastor of the church. But you must be a pastor of your home. Right? Yet it is not something that's only for heads of households or married couples. It's for the entire church. Right? No matter what state you're in in your life. The Christian faith, brothers and sisters, is a parental crucible where we are called to bear with one another, to be of one mind, to submit to one another, and to teach one another. We are to aim at what? At taking responsibility for others, to bear the weight of being responsible to others over you as well. It's the mechanism of change for Christ. That cannot be replaced or ignored. No matter how much we try, other stuff, other ways, it really boils down to this, brothers and sisters. Discipleship will happen 
And it's not something that it's not going to happen. It will happen whether we do it or not. Someone else will fill that need. And if it's not the church teaching, teaching the nations, it's going to be a pagan religion. It's going to be a false god. It's always going to be filled. It needs that because we are created as religious beings. We need an authority under us, over us, describing for us how we should then live. And the God of the Bible is the only God that can provide a proper grounding and ceiling to us. We've, we've seen it in history. Other, other philosophies and religions have tried it. None come close to the Christian faith. And none will ever Come close. So someone else will fill this need. Hence the weaponizing of the internet and social media. And finally, how does the rise of the digital age affect the decline of character today? The internet, social media in particular, provides a form of connection. It provides a form of engagement. A form of discipleship that does not require any type of crucible of character. Any type of personal connection. It presents an illusion of satisfaction of the need of discipleship without it actually being discipleship. It's cheap. It's available. right? It's tailored to highlight all the things we want people to see of ourselves and yet pretend all the negatives don't exist. Right? We watch videos. I watch videos. I have several heroes of the faith not only of the past and books, but presently, that I have no idea who they are. I have their books. I have what they've written. I've seen their videos. But I don't know them. I know my pastor. I know, I know my leaders that are giving me now the time, the time sign. <laughs> so it allows for connections. The Internet allows for connections that would otherwise not happen. We can reach the farthest of places for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, brothers. That is a wonderful and life-altering possibility that I personally believe is one of the blessings that come with the Internet. And it's why I'm actively on social media. I've connected with people all over the planet, from South America. And it's a beautiful thing. But we also must realize it is often used as a form of escape. Listen well. It's used as a form of escape while reaping the benefits of a relationship. Escape from actually engaging your brothers and sisters personally while choosing to post statuses about it and receiving affirmations from everyone except the people you should be engaging personally. Escape from actual engagement from the pastors and leaders that know you while receiving the teaching of others far away that do not know you. The internet and social media is a great advancement. But until, brothers and sisters, we intentionally prioritize our local churches, our membership vows, our brotherhood first, it will continue to be a double-edged sword that both advances and hurts the church. Any questions? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the reality that we must engage in discipleship, that the world changes when we engage in discipleship. Now, the world changes and sees a city on a hill that takes responsibility for others, that cares for others, that organizes, we organize our time according to seeking the kingdom first and foremostly, as your son Jesus commanded us. Let us be a people that do these things in the little, but are faithful to the local, 
Lord, that build together as one mind, as if we're one. Help us. Help us to bear with one another. Help us to teach one another. Help us to submit to one another. Help us to lead humbly. Help us, Lord, in this time of need that we need discipleship. Help us and teach us how. In Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen.